0: Shafee, Shafee, are you there?
1: It's time for One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer Podcast Spectacular. That also means it's time for me to talk to our friend Matthew Rampey. Hello, Matthew Rampy.
0: The long and winding pod that leads nowhere. Hey, Schaefer, let's just go on a long road okay. to nowhere, buddy. Is this going to be another long and winding one tonight? (laughs) Well, our last four podcasts have been in upwards of 128 minutes.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we've definitely uh, definitely been laying down some tape. Let me tell you, a figurative tape.
0: I think that we're building a foundation of content. Ah. From which to someday return and edit.
1: So large figurative blocks of stone with our voice
0: um hey we were just talking about the pod podly wed game before we started recording here that was fun
1: it was a blast thanks again to cat and jeff yeah delightful folks
0: jeff kind of reminded me of buddy holly did did you get any buddy holly vibes from him of course i'd never met him before i had never met them before And I'm meeting all these people on my podcast, which is a weird, a weird scene. And I'm enjoying, but you know, you don't know about somebody until you just get on that video feed with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed their enthusiasm. I was reminded of Jeff's review, one of our first really cool reviews. Yeah, yeah. Which said we were like a some movies are like a Hangout movie, like a Tarantino movie. That's kind of like One Magical Hour, which ha, I took the
1: highest of compliments. What about you? Yeah, I find it very complimentary. Uh, regarding him being like Buddy Holly, it's interesting that you should say that, because the only thing I know about Buddy Holly comes from his music. I have never seen an interview with Billy Holly, Buddy Holly. I've never seen you know, footage of Buddy Holly... Hanging around backstage. I've never seen You've seen Gary Busey play Buddy Holly, right? I never have actually. Oh,
0: you haven't seen that? Okay.
1: But I mean that also still wouldn't count as me, you know, having seen
0: Well, I Buddy think Jeff Holly. in my mind, Jeff is an
1: idealized Buddy Holly. Gotcha.
0: Even though um, his even though his accent was distinctly East Texas.
1: No, which... I know I I I should have seen that Buddy Holly movie, me, you know, having spent time in Lubbock at all, but I haven't.
0: Well, I don't think that uh, you should run out and see it now, necessarily. I don't think it's a good movie, but there were, like, some scenes shot in Lubbock. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look for that on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we I'd could like- do an avocado review.
1: <laughs>
0: I want to circle back to another thing that we talked about last episode, which was Star and by The Firm. yeah. I think that I learned that song that that song was seared into my brain through a channel a TV channel called the box yeah it was uh, like a, a it was like a video jukebox channel
1: I remember the box yeah
0: I'm pretty sure that that's where I saw that in heavy rotation I could be wrong but it got me thinking about the box. I looked it up. I think it was on like a UHF station. Yeah. On the old TV tuner. That's what I. Re- that's how I remember it too. This is some Uncle Rico shiz. This is... <laughs> I'm sure that people are going to hear us talking about the box though and be like, oh yeah, that was
1: the jam. Oh, yeah, I remember the box. Yeah, I loved the box.
0: For those who don't know what we're talking about, you could call a number... And you had a code for a video and they would between songs, they would show a menu and you could see lists of videos and you could call in with the number. It wasn't uncommon when a song was popular, maybe Crossroads by Bone Thugs-N-Harmony. It would, you would see it played many times an hour. Although again, that, that nineteen eighty seven was when that track came out. So this is probably 1988, 89 I was definitely watching the box. I had you know a TV in my room by that time.
1: Um, and that's where you caught up on the, the firm. I'm pretty sure. I have listened to that Star Trek Star Trek and song a number of times since, <laughs> and I really really like that. It's a good song,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt it could get stuck in your head. So, uh, this is episode 50. Six Holy oh. Um
1: How did that happen?
0: Man, you called me that day back, just back at the end of <laughs> August. It was like, hey, we're recording. <laughs> and that's how it all began. It was magic, really. One magical hour. One magical 40 minutes and I was hooked, I guess.
1: Who let these guys... And the answer is no one. No one let us. Well, you know, the
0: box was an an old-timey interactive content thing. And this is a new, very new-timey interactive content thing where, as a superfan, you could end up on the show. It's taken about 30 years to get from calling, dialing up a number, getting the video you want to see, and actually becoming... Uh, a star of a game show on your favorite podcast.
1: Yeah, Cat and Jeff are game sh- game show superstars. After episode forty nine, I would I, I would say I'm comfortable saying. So uh, uh, thanks are we... also to Matthias. Uh I don't think we we thanked him in in, la- in the last episode forty nine. We were kind of right. busy in the game you're show right. episode. Yes. Uh, wow. He was a great guest too. I subscribed to the dreams for the December fifteenth through January fifteenth period. Excellent! Yeah, that's going to be fun for your family. I I signed up um, listener Aunt A, uh, and uh, also I signed my niece and nephew dot. Oh, oh, that's, Dodden, that's fantastic! Oh, so.
0: Awesome. Do we have anything special for episode fifty?
1: Let's see here. We have what's on the uh, we have what's on the show sheet.
0: Uh, do we have any guests?
1: Oh, uh, sorry. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, coming up, we have we have. A do you see why I
0: asked if you were okay?
1: I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a...
0: Are yes. you with me? Okay. Earth to Shafee, this is the Starship Enterprise. I'm beaming you up.
1: Beaming on up. <laughs> yes, coming up, we will be having a conversation with Milton, uh, or with our old friend who uh, who does the songs, makes the pretty sounds with with the mouth and with the guitar and the fingers. So again,
0: we are talking to someone tonight that I do not know, and that Schaefer is good friends with. It's very exciting for me. Schaefer is finally introducing me to all his cool friends. And I'm meeting them one by one, and I'm like, oh, I see why you didn't introduce me before. I can't, I can't hang with these people. I, I'm going to try not to embarrass you here on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, everybody loves you. Uh, I just don't get out much, I think. I think I that I'm, I'm a, an introvert with the trappings of an extrovert, i.e.,
1: you know, podcast and working well, on a stand-up act. I mean, first of all, we've all been introverts for the last nine months, haven't we? Well, there's that. There's that.
0: But it, the our separation and friends comes from the fact that we lived in different places for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so once again, I'm looking forward to this. This is a stalwart question with these interviews. So how did, you, how did
1: you guys meet? <laughs> and you've become a fan of Milton's through the song oh. Replace Uptown. I'm a huge fan of Milton's. I, we, among others. I believe we ended the last
0: episode with another Milton song.
1: Uh no, that was oh that wasn't. That was Ben Murphy. With, okay. Uh, I put with, it I had it in the wrong folder with Allison Langerak singing. Right.
0: What was the name of that song? I thought that was oh, I can't I'm not going to call you anymore.
1: I sh- I shouldn't call you anymore. Yeah. yeah. Which is how I, I felt it about you know. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: That that's how I feel about Alex. The clean feed link. I can't I can't call you anymore. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think we've. I think Alex is just part of the show now, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine five episodes going by where we don't talk to him briefly. Yep. Yeah. And I think the uh, the hunter gatherers prefer it that way. So while we're waiting for Milton, I got a quick news cruise. Ding. episode 50 um so i saw something in the news this week that uh tickled my fancy it's got uh football that's what they call soccer in most of the world it's got uh inclusion it's got anti-bullying uh nike recently released an ad in japan um a a longish ad that has a vibe of inclusion it features three female uh well they're 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 young they're in school but they're training for soccer in in these different cutaway shots and they are all of uh well there's this backlash in japan over this ad because the japanese don't want to shed any light on how homogenous their society is, and they don't want it to be seen that there is any discrimination or, or, or bullying in their schools. But the, the ad features a, a girl of African American and Japanese mix race, uh, a Korean girl living in Japan, and then a, a Japanese girl whose parents want her to focus on her academics and not this football. And they're all fighting to just do the thing they love to do. And I watched, uh, the, I watched the ad and it, I thought it was really moving. I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, uh, let me read just a little snippet of the article. Japan is a relatively homogenous society, but the heroics of the country's multiracial rugby team at last year's World Cup, and I'm not aware of that um, success, and the success of tennis star. Naomi Osaka, who has a Japanese mother and a Haitian father, are challenging old ideas about what it means to be Japanese. The Nike ad, titled The Future Isn't Waiting, depicts three football-playing teenage girls from different backgrounds. In one scene, the mixed-race girl is surrounded by a group of classmates who touch her hair. The Korean girl is shown reading on her smartphone about the Zainchi problem, a word used to describe ethnically Korean people who are staying in Japan. The Japanese girl, meanwhile, is bullied at school and struggles to cope with parental pressures to achieve academically. Uh, you should go out and check this out. It's it's pretty rad, and uh, I like that inclusion
1: is really a trend
0: in marketing these days.
1: Yeah, that's I uh, I I, th- I think that's a very nice notion. It's very all this stuff uh, about uh, all of these. Uh, Things about Japan, I didn't. I didn't really under. I didn't know that. There's a lot about Japanese culture that I don't know. I guess that's what I've learned from this news cruise. Um, <laughs> Not only can you just relax and have a mai tai
0: on a news cruise, you learn some stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'm. I you know I think probably like a lot of Americans, I find I find Japanese culture very interesting. And you know, um, you know we learn about Japanese culture from uh, animated, you know what to to our Western sensitivities. Very strange animated movies, um, and from uh, things like Hello Kitty, and you know their uh, their Sushi cultural exports exports yeah and then you know you hear certain uh, you know i've heard certain things about uh various uh fetishes involved over there um but these all seem like is that like fan servicing these <laughs> that's yeah that's for all yeah for people like kat and jeff who have a one magical hour that's, fetish
0: that's not what i meant you know what yeah.
1: i meant <laughs> They have you know, or you know, Alex Battles has a OMH fetish, so then he gets he gets serviced by the hosts. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Are you glad that you brought that up?
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, every time, every time you say it, every time I repeat it. Uh,
1: yeah, what I'm saying is that I know a lot of stereotypes about Japan, and they're not to me. None of them. You know uh, what what light they shed on Japanese culture is very small, um, very focused and probably you know, probably colored, you know, probably artificially changed. Um, so I, w- I would like to I would like to talk to somebody who is from Japan. Uh, i would and, like to go to japan i've always been yeah or go there the even culture. better um, uh, i'm not going to be going there anytime soon obviously well, I mean,
0: you know, pandemic, but. but it's there's a cool part of the ad where the three girls are sort of saying to themselves should i try to fit in should i just try to not draw so much attention should i just try not to be me and that it's really quick shot of naomi osaka and she's like uh-uh no way you
1: know mm-hmm. like uh Cool ad. Everybody, go out and see it. Um, Uh, Has Matthew has it ever occurred to you to try not to stand out? (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) No, I've struggled with that for sure. I, I think I talked about how I've let sort of negative feelings about not wanting to ruffle someone's feathers keep me from entertaining in my youth. Maybe when I was less secure. I, when I didn't want to be vulnerable publicly, like starting this podcast. Well, I want to say one more thing about this ad. I also, I, I, have, I find a high-minded ideal in sport and sports ability to focus somebody's uh, uh, energies and bring us together in this certain way, where we can compete without going to war you know i i think there would be so much more war if there were not sport i really and i, I was a soccer player myself uh, the ad also aside from this inclusion angle or whatever that the, that sort of subtext is it's also a, a badass ad about training and a life of training to do something and doing the reps putting in the reps like 50 podcasts for instance setting <laughs> a schedule setting a goal Showing up every time and putting in the work we're baby stepping we're you know we're making it happen um and now we're we're seeing uh i I don't know I, I, think I think you and I have said to each other recently, thank goodness for the cast, the long
1: and winding cast oh no doubt I think it's interesting what you said about uh there being less war if there were no sports, I'm not sure I definitely think there would be less violence. Um, I don't know if there'd be less war. It seems to me like there's always going to be the same amount of war in this universe. Well, no but, <laughs> no <matter> okay,
0: <laughs> how about just less violence, less gang violence? I mean, yeah, yeah. in so many places, every, everywhere, we have these these gladiators that go out on the pitch yeah. or the football field, and they they take our hopes and dreams, and we don't have to fight all those people we're just so we we're everybody's really tribal and, and especially
1: you know, like i know look at us
0: with our hunter gatherers we're trying to start our own nation over here <laughs> talk about tribal I, I don't even think that this guy has uh, made an appearance yet this evening but i made sort of a special milty a milty roseby
1: And here is our good friend Milton, uh, who will be uh, meeting Matthew for the first time. Matthew Milton, Milton Matthew. Hi, Milton. Hey, Matthew. Thank you
0: for thanks for taking time to talk to us, man. I I always feel yeah,
3: man. It's my pleasure.
0: I I feel bad because we we usually start around eight thirty. And then, if we have a guest, we tell them around nine. And if they're on the East Coast, that's 10 o'clock.
1: Uh, it's the, rough.
3: You know, I'm usually in my P, my PJs by now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the nightlife ain't, ain't the good life, but it's, it's Malton's life. It's, it's our lives.
3: That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. 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 So. There's quite a long time where, where I would be. Oh. No, go ahead. Yeah, dudes. Oh, many many was the evening that I'd be coming home from work, from a gig at like three in the morning. I'd find a parking spot for the van. I'd be turning the corner, and the and then my phone would light up. and It would be Schaefer. To say, <laughs> you know, we're around the campfire now, and we'd like it if you would sing us. then he'd have a song that he wanted me to sing, <laughs> under the boardwalk. You know, that's <laughs> so. okay. I'd be walking down the street with my guitars in my hands and my <laughs> leaning on my phone, singing under the boardwalk at three o'clock in the morning. Milton,
1: Milton yeah. always accommodate come, accommodates me. When I hit him with that, he's such so good-hearted. Uh, Matt Matthew was actually asking me just before uh, you popped on air how we met, and uh, I I think yeah. I've mentioned it here before. Uh, just one of the cool things about New York City is that you can become a fan of somebody and then you know become friends with them because you bump into them at a poetry reading or on the subway or something. And that's, uh, that's what happened. Milt's yeah. Milton was playing a gig at Pete's and, uh, Ben and I were, uh, we, we really enjoyed his gig. He knocked our socks off. So we, we bought his, his EP that he was selling at a time. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was just two songs, right. Uh, in the city. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was, I
3: think, this is the town. I think
1: this is the yeah. town. Yeah. Yeah. Town and city. Um, and we yeah. played that thing in our apartment yeah, yeah. on Driggs Avenue so much. And uh, then, you know, a few gigs went by. And uh, I remember I uh, had a poetry reading at the Soft School Bookstore. And so I was so excited about it. It was my first big reading. And I so I invited every. It was just just at the beginning of mass, mass emails. And I, I definitely sent out a mass email. I invited yeah. every, everyone that I knew whose email I could scrounge up, and and Melty showed up. I was so excited. And then, uh, yeah, so then after that, uh, this musician that we were big fans, fans of became our friend. And here we are, and now he lets us call us. And then, like, the, kind of the calling him in the middle of the night tradition kind of started. Lucas and I, kind of before you really had a record out, you had a few songs on your website. Uh, one of them was Let You In, that song that I love so much. And... Lucas and I would kind of be up late, you know, just hanging out. Often it seems like laying on our living room floor for some reason, just, you know, doing weird, weird stuff. Uh, (laughs) And we would, we would play your song. And I would always, I'd always email you and I'd be like, Lucas and I are, you know, up listening to, you know, your song. uh, And you always seem to get a big (laughs) kick out of that. So I think that that kind of ended up turning into the, Let's call Milton in the middle of the night and hear a Milton song <laughs> tradition. Uh, and what a yeah. wonderful, tra- what a wonderful tradition yeah. it is. Uh, so yeah, it's you... been
3: fun for me, you know. Yeah. And then
1: Milton,
0: do you also know Alex? Sure, uh, Alex yeah. Battles.
3: Of course, yeah. Well, you've got yes. to listen I mean, through Schaefer. That's where I met him and.
0: You've got to listen to the episodes featuring Alex. He's become a recurring character on this show, and I, 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 he's he's great. Of Jeez. course, I only know him through that, that, the interwebs, but
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a wonderful deep voice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm i covet my neighbor's voice in that regard, speaking voice. I wish I had a I wish I was a deep voice guy like him. I'm a, I'm a great fan of the all American deep voice guy he really is
1: yeah he's got he's got the just about the the deepest voice there is like like a glass of butter (laughs) glass of buttermilk
0: i've heard a lot of your music now milton and i don't think that you need be jealous of anyone else's voice uh (laughs) (laughs) your voice is quite delightful and
1: distinctive as well now uh now's the time we should probably yeah that was the time we should probably tell Milton that we've been uh, we've been using. Uh, oh my God, he doesn't know, songs. dude. Uh, yeah, we've 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 gone out with the occasional Milton number because um, I didn't really figure you'd mind if uh, a few more people heard your songs. Um, they were all. Well, I'll tell you, my my lawyer my lawyer is sitting here next to me.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's writing out the. the... This the, the, <laughs> the cease and desist letter that will be sent to you. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, not, that's not our first Thanks cease and guys. desist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not our not oh, our first that's at all. Thank, yeah.
1: we're, we're racking them up. On no, that.
3: very very happy and for the yeah yeah. Uh I'm yeah, glad if you if you uh do that. So yeah, that that's great. Thanks, guys.
0: Her place uptown has become. I think we've that's been the closing track, uh, on a number of occasions. It's it is certainly my favorite milton song
1: (laughs) yeah we use we use different you know we use different friends bands music just because we figure you know we can get away with it um but yeah her place uptown has come up. that was actually we our first interview was porter we did a travel episode where we talked about uh porter's hijinks uh in southeast asia and and matthew's matthew's hijinks in russia uh which i had never heard before they were pretty awesome and my hijinks in portugal but uh Porter requested uh, her place her place uptown. He said he said let's buzz number 2.
3: Yeah, but for, and... for, if you can recall there was a long time long period uh, in which Porter only referred to the song as <laughs> button number 2.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's what we They
3: do that do the one with you know with, with, with button number 2. Yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And then True. Milton, can I also assume? I'm glad you
3: played old old button number two on this
0: show. Yeah. Alex was calling it Buzz number two. Yeah, which I misunderstood to be. Well, because
3: that's the lyric.
0: That's the I, I, I I hear that lyric now, but when I heard that lyric before, I thought it was bus number two. I thought that was. I thought you needed the number two bus to get to her place uptown. <laughs> but now, I, 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 upon learning the actual lyric, I realized that the, she was in number two, right? You buzz number two. Yeah, that's right. This and, is a very and, you know, this is a very correct, specific yeah. thing because to like living in a walk up. We don't have those here in Texas.
3: That's right. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't. Uh, she didn't have a ranch uptown. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Her ranch. Her yeah. ranch upstate is a different song. I wouldn't.
3: That's right. Yeah. I wouldn't Yeah, it's funny. Her place uptown. You know.
0: Yes, tell us the backstory. Tell us about that apartment. I was going to
3: say, you know, I don't... Well, the funny thing is, you know, writing-wise, I don't normally... uh, I'm not what you'd call the confessional singer-songwriter. You know, like, I don't... uh, I'm not so much, hey, I woke up today and this happened to me. You know, Um, I try to make a story work that sounds believable, and all the elements come from, you know, moments of my life, but they're not direct necessarily. I'll switch around whatever for it to work. But her place of town happens to be very direct and very real. Everything in that song just about is exactly that. You know, there were I was going out with this woman. I, I really dug her a lot. And she lived on in the Upper East Side near Lenox Hill Hospital in the 70s. 70s. And I lived at the time on, a, on 107th Street between uh, Amsterdam and Columbus on the Upper West Side, bottom of Harlem, near Columbia University. In fact, uh, Schaefer, I lived with Allison, who's kind of the reason why we know each other, really. Uh, um, Allison Alice. was my roommate at that time.
1: Yeah, uh, um, Matthew Allison uh, was the one yeah. singing on the song we went out with last night.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, she. So she and because that right because that somehow isn't that right. So I ended up on some gig with her and when she and and Mishka and Ben. Yeah, or Mishka.
4: Something. Is yeah, you of? got it.
3: anyway yeah 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 so um anyway yeah so that all that's you know i would just it's it's, i had what i needed in the in the in the facts, so i didn't have to mess things around it worked you know just fine like i actually did go see her after work and i would take the crosstown bus used to take the bus each day as the as the narrative goes the lyric goes and there was a dog making an awful racket every time i got there and everything but she didn't actually live in in uh in number two. Oh. that's the only thing that I, I was, took poetic license with. rhyme rhymed. She, she lived in apartment, yeah, apartment four B, and I messed around <laughs> with rhymes for that for a while, but they were they were very strained. You know, I, I sort of, I, I, you know, I used to go to old four B, and and boy, that was the place for me. You know, it was just it was really it was really labored, and not so you know so so I, eventually I just moved her down a couple of flights. But I mean, it, otherwise, straight from my life. Um,
0: I love that. That song yeah. has such. One a... thing I loved about
4: her, she had this.
0: Tell me, <laughs> that song has such a, a, <laughs> to, a timeless feel. It it feels old. It feels old timey and super contemporary, and it It reminds me of things like. I don't know if you want, want to hear it. it. It reminds me of Billy Joel.
3: Sure, that's cool. I was, <laughs> that, uh, yeah. A fan. I was actually... Right. Of, so, when as I was a little kid, I mean, you know, I, I, and I always tell people, it's like the things you, as far as your influences, you know, you could say who you want to sound like, but then there's the people that like Dr. Seuss and Billy Joel that I just listened to so much as a kid and or read so much or whatever that they're definitely in there. So and he I mean, he's great. So that I mean, that, that's cool by me.
0: Well, and I don't think, and not specifically referential either, just in the way that his songs have that, um, some of his songs have that kind of authenticity uh, that, you know, uh, it's not easy to do as a songwriter or an artist to imbue your art with that kind of thing. Anyway, I love that song. I I, 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 I
3: appreciate that. It's so evocative. I I I, I remember... Thanks, man. I mean, I think that's what I was going for. And I, I remember when I wrote it, I was, believe it or not, I was really into uh, the Lemonheads and Evan Dando. And on the album called Come On, Feel the Lemonheads, they had this song that went, Love, Don't turn around, or something, like, don't walk, just let me walk away. And the way the vocal came right in like that, I thought was so cool, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to make a song where the vocal came right in. And uh, so that was kind of how that intro she used to have a place uptown. If you think about it, the phrasing and the number of syllables is almost the exact same as that that Lemonhead song. The melody's different, huh. but I mean, the, you know, the idea of it. I was definitely trying to do that in my yeah. own weird Milton way. You know, well,
1: you were you going to tell us something funny about maybe the roommate, or you had something funny you were going to say about the song? Oh yeah, well, so yeah, the, the roommate. Uh,
3: the, used to used to joke with her roommate when she got back from her bad date. That yeah. she had this roommate that was, you know, like somebody would be today, serially dating a bunch of people trying to trying to make the love connection and and a and, bunch uh, of douchebags. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, she was she was as 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 Eddie Murphy's Buckwheat would say, she was whooping for nub in all the wrong places, and uh, <laughs> she, uh, she 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 was. Had a very thick French accent and she was very uh, 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 um, she was very close to her French identity it was a big deal to her but I learned over time as I was there that not only had she lived in the States for many more years than she ever lived in France as a child, but her dad was an American dude And then it turned out that when that she that she was studying Spanish and when she studied Spanish she would affect as the best possible, her closest Spanish accent as she could, but in English she always kept the French accent. It was like a, a, call <laughs> a <call. laughs>
1: yeah. If I had a French accent, I would be using it too. Let me tell you
4: ouais. <laughs> That's true. I, I would love the, the
3: French Schaeffer. <laughs> <to> <laughs> yeah, I would be,
1: And and let me tell you, that guy would be intolerable.
0: Gaston. That, we just had we just did the pod podlywood game and one of the questions was what would your pod partner what disney character would your pod partner be and i i said he was gaston so there it is
1: he's french uh, there you
0: go. milton i google everybody who comes on the show are you there can, can you hear me can you hear us
3: am i there
0: you're here. Yes,
3: <laughs> I can. Yes, yes, I can. Yes, I can. No, no. Okay, cool.
0: I so I Google, right. I Google all of our guests, and I came across your blog, and yeah. uh, we've recently been talking about blogs on uh-huh. this program. Schaefer and I also had blogs in the blog, in the blogging heydays and the bloggy blog times, and I was just reading this blog post yeah. from May seventeenth, two thousand and twelve. Uh, the title is Milton and Me, and uh, I don't know if you recall this. I yeah, I have hazy recollections of my own blog, but this is a great um, article about uh, your name and why you changed your name and how every Joker who interviews you has to ask about the name. <laughs> we were we were joking around with right. we were joking around with Matthias Svalina, who we interviewed uh, a few episodes ago. Who's do you know, Matthias? Uh, Schaefer's uh, poet friend who yeah. r- runs a dream delivery service it's a great episode Just check it out episode 48 um, Absolutely. and he's a poet like Schaefer and did a lot of press for this endeavor that he's doing right now and one of the things that interviewers always say is uh, why poetry <laughs> and then of course you get oh. why the name
1: change why
0: why yeah. and and you yeah. you of course you laid it out very well in this blog post mm-hmm. we, we should we should post a link to this blog post on our facebook page but yeah. my my favorite thing about this blog post though is that would be awesome. is yeah. the is the foot, yeah. the footnote says this blog post was written at the brooklyn lyceum cafe and the jefferson margaret market library in manhattan i had my computer's music collection on random shuffle Songs were played by these artists in this order, I, as a as a compendium for a oh. writing a piece of writing. I love that. It reminds me of an ekphrastic poem, Schaefer.
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's super cool. Oh. I, I I'm excited to look at that and see what those songs are too. I'm always uh I'm always interested to see what Milton is listening to. Uh, be it uh, what are you listening to? Yeah, late? What are you listening yeah, to I mean, lately?
3: I, I, I guess in the well, let's see. The last few spins went while I was waiting for the so, the, uh, the uh, software to be ready so that I could do this. I listened to, I was telling Schaefer, I was listening to Doug Sum, mm-hmm. who's, uh, you know, like right. an Austin classic uh, um, uh, of old. And the, the record I was listening to is called Doug Sum and Band. And it's from early the early 70s here in New York. He made it and all these. Kinds of guest stars on it, like Dr. Bob Dylan and stuff, and they're all—it's just a wonderful record. And uh, so, listening to that, and uh, I guess I, I listened to "Space Oddity" last night by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have this—let's uh, see what's in front of me here. Stan gets uh, eloquence, which is sort of like the early Nerve stuff when he was working with Lionel Hampton and Ray Brown and all these really heavy-hitting, badass players. And and uh, and I also happened upon this collection of. Uh, when I was somewhere, I was in Pennsylvania or something over the summer uh, playing an outdoor gig. Uh, this collection of Gene Autry's Melody Rant, so it's like his radio broadcasts from the 40s or whatever. So I played cool. that too yesterday. And uh,
1: That is exactly the kind yeah. of A eclectic lot, lot of, lot of mix stuff. that I would have expected. <laughs> Alex just got at me about yeah, Stan, Stan Getz you... the other day too. So uh, Stan Getz is on, uh, on people's brains.
3: Dan Getz is a, uh, I mean, he's kind of an amazing guy. I mean, you could, from all I know about him, just from reading biographies and stuff and reading people had to say about him, he was just about the devil. But when he played the sax, <laughs> I mean, he sounds like an angel at all times. He, 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 he might be one of the, the people that I can think of that's like, I'm trying to think of who, the, who was a sports, he's like, a you know, who a sports equivalent would be or something, he, he, you, can, you can search as all you like. You can listen to take number 27 you're not going to find a bad take come out of Stan Getz. Like, he was like a Zen player. And, and from all reports, once again, a mess of a human being, like, you know, <laughs> like a, just a, an abominable person. Uh, but, but he's playing. is just so out of this world at all times. So um, anyway, he, to me, it's like one of those guys that I'd love to call him an influence. If I can, I don't know if I can, because I'm not that level of a musician, but, uh, the guy, the guy, just has this, this eloquence in, in what he was able to say with his instrument, and uh, I always assumed that he must be this very, you know, studied person because of the the, the, the sort of the, And this was a person who, like, if you asked John Coltrane who his favorite saxophone player was, he'd say Stan Getz, you know. Oh, wow. And 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 like, like if if, I so I always just assumed that he must be some sort of a you know what highly trained. You know guy and he was highly trained in the sense that he played his whole life but i i heard this interview one time on the radio with um herb alpert you know the guy that you know who he is
0: oh sure yeah yeah Yeah. rise big
3: a and m records you know yeah exactly you know like this guy's in love with you and all that stuff um a whipped cream whatever anyway uh herb alpert was saying he was making this record working with stan getz stan getz was doing the music of bacharach and herb Alpert was producing the album he was in the album and he said when he was finished working with him he he said I'm just going to ask him a couple of questions about jazz because I'm a trumpet player so I'm going to ask him you know just a a couple of questions about playing jazz and improvising and you know playing bebop and what that's like so he said so my question to you is and he tried to sound as as you know well versed as he could he said to Stan Getz he said I heard the key to really being able to improvise and be in the right place at all times is really the first thing you got to do is Master the one six two five change in every key, you know, and that's the one six two five are parts of the scale, you know, that he's, he's just using, you know, just throwing out there the m- most minuscule piece of, of music theory just to, to show off, like, I, that's what I heard, right? Is that right, Stan Getz? And Stan Getz looked at him and he said, What's a one six two five change?
2: <laughs>
3: and I always thought that was hilarious because it's like Stan Getz actually just knew where to be in a song. He actually wasn't that studied. He didn't read music particularly well. He just, just one of those guys, you know, and, and that to me is like, you know, that's amazing. That's, that's beautiful. That's, that's what it's all about. He just felt his way. Yeah. I mean, he played, he spent his whole life playing. And I could tell you that, that, you know, a minute of, of live performance is worth, you know, an hour or, or three hours of practicing, um, as far as how it makes you improve and what you learn um, by just doing it over and over and over again and, and being in front of audiences and figuring stuff out that way. So he started doing that as just a very, very young kid. He was playing in big bands when he was a teenager. Um, well, he uh, played his whole life, essentially. Uh,
0: so, <laughs> But as
3: far as formal education, and, and, and yeah. He didn't, he didn't actually read particularly well, and, and most of it was, was ears and just knowing where to be
0: how how did your musical journey begin i know that sound that sounded cliche but like like when when let me let me change that let me wait let me change that up and i i i'm an artist i went to art school so i can say this when did you make the decision to 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 make music your life that's better that's more focused than my original question (laughs)
3: Sure, sure. Well, it's for me, it was like a, a couple of different, you know, milestone moments. So I started to write songs before I could read like words. I mean, like when I was three or four or whatever, you know, I just always was trying to write a song. Um, I, I didn't know why. I, sometimes I, I, I equate that to like a retrieving dog chasing after a, a tennis ball. I don't know. I just hmm. really wanted to do that, you know, just seemed like the right thing to do. And and I recorded call very specifically being about five or six or something. It's older brother, a lot older than my dad, so he was like an old, old. He was like a World War II vet, you know, he was like a much older generation. Uh, He came over. So we had these first cousins, my brothers and I had these first cousins that were like a whole generation older. They seemed like uncles, even though they were first cousins and they had already moved out of the house and grown up and everything. So he gave us a bunch of their books, and and he gave us one of those old briefcase record players, a Caliphone mono 78 kind of player from the 50s or whatever that those kids had had when they were kids. And I just went to the living room and sort of started picking out my parents' records, and I, there was a copy of Hard Day's Night, the, the 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 United Artists soundtrack, the one that's kind of bad, and half of the you know, it's the, the songs are like half of it, and the other half is like, the George Martin Orchestra playing instrumental versions of the song. But I didn't know the rules of records or how any of that stuff worked. So I just I remember putting on the record, hearing the crackles, hearing the opening chord jam, of, of, of Hard Day's Night, um, and listening to that music and just thinking, this is, this is, and, I, and granted, I hadn't done a lot of living at the time. I was five years old, but I thought, what could be better than this in life? Listen to these guys. It, they sounded like angels their harmonies you know it just sounded like angels descended from heaven and they're singing this music and uh it's it's raucous and it's lively and if you look at the pictures they're best friends they're having a great time they're cracking up and the the girls literally chased them down the street to do what they're doing you know they literally chased them down the street so i I, you know it wasn't from my time but i didn't even know that you know i didn't i didn't know that i just you know I, i just heard what i heard and saw I looked at that and I thought, okay, well, that's what I want to do with my life, you know? And then from there, it was a question of sort of coming out of the closet with that notion, you know? Like, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life, but to admit it, because it seems so scary and so so far away and something that special people only did and did, not a regular person that, that I would run into.
0: Did you go along with some other charades?
3: I did, yeah. Yeah, so I... I, I uh, I never studied music formally. I never took a lesson. And um, I was, I mostly did, and I, I was sort of told in the home as a child, you know, my older brothers played a bit. And I was told, you're not the musical one. You know, you don't, you're not really, you don't have musical ability. So you might, you know, do something else, you know, you know. And so I really thought for years, I thought I couldn't sing and I thought I didn't, would, I would make an ugly sound if I opened my mouth. And so I, I, I thought, I just love music. And all I did was listen to it and think about it and talk about it. And I literally, you could see in, in, in first or second grade, we had a project where you, where you, where you uh, got to make your own book and then bind it, you know? And most of the kids in the class had, you know, this is my dog, you know, this is my mom or whatever. Or they had like, last week we went on vacation, we went to the beach and, you know, and, and we played in the waves. I had the history of the Beatles in three volumes was what I wrote for that, for that class. (laughs) And it included, if you look at the book, it included who the manager was, who the producer was, you know, they went to play their first gigs in Hamburg all that was in there. And keep in mind, like how much could I read at the time? So I must've had my mom tell me things, like what she read out of, you know, books or something. I don't know. I was, so I was kind of, I was geared towards it, but it was always academic. I'd, you know, I'd sort of read about it and learn about it. Uh, in a in a history kind of way, that's kind of what my folks did, and kind of what the environment was in my house. And then I started to do theater um, as a kid. I was in a lot of child productions and I did plays, and I, because I could be part of a show and be on stage, but I wasn't, you know, never really scratched the edge. I didn't, I wasn't really into that. And I went away to college for theater, and I was, you know, just unhappy with it. Oh, but I started to play, I guess, in high school. I, my brother went away to college. He left his drum kit, so I I became the drummer, like in a band with with, with some neighborhood friends, and and uh, we started to to do stuff. And I wanted to do original material and had all kinds of ideas for songs, but you know I was a drummer, I didn't play a melodic instrument at the time. And I would have I'd write all the words and have the song in my head, and I would have the guitar guys in the band. I would sing to them what I wanted, you know, no, not that, no, more like this. T- try it again until I could hear it, and eventually. I just gave up and started singing in the band because I wasn't happy with what the singer was doing. And eventually I just got a guitar and started figuring out how to use it because I just wanted to write songs, you know? So when I went away to college, I couldn't bring a drum kit. So I brought an acoustic guitar and I really started to, to play in earnest. I, I We had a dorm room. I remember a dorm that had those study rooms that nobody used uh, to study. So I would go in them and just practice all day. And, and then I went, there was an open mic. It was in Saratoga Springs. At Skidmore College, and I I, I would go to uh, upstate New York, and I would go to the Cafe Lena, which is, turns out is a historically very famous uh, folk club. I'd go to the open mic there, um, and I would uh, you know try out my, my my fledgling songs, and that's that's really where I started to to do it. And then I eventually left Skidmore, came to New York. I just said you know, fuck it, screw it. I I just want to I want to play. I know that's what I want to do. So uh, I want to, I kind of wanted to be in, in deeper into the literature and the books and into the music, and uh, so I left theater. I left Skidmore, came to New York, started trying to play downtown, and uh, went to NYU. Finished school at NYU.
1: Milton, I'm, I'm glad I asked. Uh, Milton, <laughs> how did you feel after you know seeing uh, seeing those pictures of the. Uh, the Beatles being chased down the street by a bunch of girls. How did you feel when you made it in Brooklyn and realized that you were going to be chased around by a big redheaded guy for the rest of your career?
3: Well, it's funny because it's, it's, it's a thing that most people don't do, but I, 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 I wrote a letter to my fate and I said, I want my money back. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the girls didn't quite... Well, that's the funny thing, you know? Actually... I got a good one for you. Somebody said to me once, not long ago, they said, well, you don't have to worry. This was, you know, I was like between girlfriends or something. And they said, you don't have to worry. You know, you play gigs. So you're always going to meet women. You'll always meet women. And I said, you know, it doesn't really exactly work that way. And I want to just say for the record, I take that back. It absolutely works that way. <laughs> Every woman I've just about ever met in my entire life, I met in the context of music. And it totally was my, you know. My entry in all different kinds of ways. So absolutely, it totally works that way. Um, I feel like
1: I feel like I know a lot about Milton, but uh, this is the first I've heard about you kind of starting with the drums like that. And uh, you know, I I found that I find that kind of interesting because I've always been really interested watching you play the guitar, uh, kind of playing that. It's sort of like a variation on the claw hammer, almost. You got Uh, right, but. Yeah. You have a uh, like. I have always enjoyed watching you play and watching you listening to you. Just like kind of sit at the bar and play because, like, you kind of somehow make that guitar uh, sound like more than just a guitar. It almost sounds like a full band. And I th- I wonder if that's because you know you're kind of putting that rhythm in there alongside the other stuff that a guitar does. You're putting some of that rhythm in there too with that uh, with that unusual way you have of uh, of Of playing that thing. Have you ever thought that much about it?
3: Mr. Hall, in fact I have and I'll tell you more than that, Um, yeah I definitely started to play the guitar always banging out the rhythm, uh, creating my own little pocket like it's my own drum kit within what I'm playing. It's very hard for me to stop doing that and once I became a professional musician and I had to play like in you know um, like a big band for, for dance music for a wedding or a party or something. I had to just play the rhythm parts that were on the records. I learned how to do that, but it didn't come naturally to me. I really wanted to, like you said, just bang out the rhythm all the time. And to the point where like, uh, working on albums years later, really good drummers, uh, I I remember uh, Dan Reeser, who played uh, all over my last record, wonderful drummer, worked with everybody. Um, You could name Roseanne Cash for many years to be one example of somebody that he played with for a long time. And uh, Dan, he walks into the session and he says, maybe it was even before then. We were playing some gig somewhere. I can't remember. But he said to me, he said, oh, was you play the drums? And I looked at him and I said, how would you know that? He goes, just the way you play the guitar. And I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So yeah, wow. yeah, I started out just, just banging on things and you know and, and banging out the rhythm to everything all the time. I always felt bad for it. people say, oh, I can't find the beat. I can't imagine what that was like because that's all I ever do is just sit around and enjoy the beat, you know. Um, and in fact, when I was when I was a child, when we would ride in the car on a family vacation, I would always be banging my head against the the, the vinyl seat, you know, behind me. Um, and I would I would I would bang my head against the pillow. Um, glad I didn't sustain any <laughs> <getting> <laughs> neurological damage. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and you're like. In the bed at night, I would, I would just sing songs to myself as I fall asleep after lights out. In fact, my aunt, my mom's sister, told me that I did it as a baby. Um, she said, oh, yeah, you were a oh,
2: headbanger.
3: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you know, it's it's always just been a thing for me. And yeah, and, and I appreciate that. In fact, in the process of making records, I had to try to convince and like talk to engineers and, and producers that I work with to say, let's figure out a way of miking it and doing it so I can just still do that because that's part of who i am and part of my sound the first oh, few yeah. times that i started working in studios they would try to train that out of me you know uh doing that so yeah i'm,
1: it, I'm really glad that didn't work yeah
3: no it didn't i'm i'm in that sense you know it's like i've always said i'm always scared i want there's certain lessons i'd like to take but i'm scared that if i go to a teacher they'll say what the hell are you doing <laughs> you have to start all over again you know because it I no, think I think to, you did
1: it. And I, I can think. tell you uh, from an amateur guitarist perspective, like that figuring out, if the first time you try to play a guitar and sing at the same time, like it's all about figuring out that rhythm, you know, and, uh, and how you're going to translate that rhythm into, you know, both the guitar and your voice. That's like the, it's the big mystery, I think, that you have to solve. And it, it's really not something that anybody can describe it's not like you know it's not like somebody can give you a list of instructions you know you just kind of have to you kind of have to groove it out you know
3: (laughs) that's absolutely right yeah yeah that's right and for years you know i would i would say when i would talk to people you know so my once again sort of sort of coming out as a musician gradually at first would tell people well i write songs you know i'm not much of a singer and i don't play really. But I write songs, you know? And then eventually I would, uh, and I, would, I would sort of tell my parents that, well, I've been writing these songs. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I, you know, I just, just for my own amusement. And I don't know, you know, and I was so convinced that I, I had this terrible voice and that, I, you know, I wasn't musical. And then eventually one day along the line, I looked around and I thought, well, you know what? I, I get up on stages and I sing songs and I play the guitar. So and that's what I do for a living. So obviously, uh, if you're singing songs on stage, then you're a singer. And if you're playing the guitar on a stage and on recordings, then you're a guitar player, whether you like it or not. And and uh, you have to own that, you know? And so, because so, when you're on a stage, everything that you do is a part of the show. Um, and and so, yeah, so, so eventually, it was, it was really very flattering and really cool and took me aback when guitar players that I really looked up to and thought were you know amazing on a tour or something would say, how do you do that thing you do with your, that weird upside down banjo thing you do with your right hand? I don't get that. And somebody it's... would ask me to show them what I do. And I couldn't believe that any technique of mine was anything worth watching to anybody because I just always felt like I was the dude getting away with it. You know? Um, but yeah, eventually, if you do something long enough, you you have your own thing with it.
1: Hopefully. It sounds so good. And I, I've definitely, like before, you know, like like I said, like grooving it out, I definitely stared at you for the longest time trying to just figure it out by looking at you. And it wasn't possible to do that. It wasn't until that day we were playing. Uh, we just, we happened to be alone at the Four-Faced Liar together. And we were playing some guitars and you just you actually showed me, it was, it was when we did, a, we did Hungry Heart, uh, we did Hungry Heart reggae style, the Bruce, Bruce Springsteen song, but with a reggae rhythm, a reggae strumming pattern. And then I kind of, uh, started to see what you were doing and, and it was, uh, it was really exciting. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, it made me understand, you know, like folks like our friend danny who worked at a guitar shop you know talk about how tone all comes from the right hand um and you know it's yeah, kind of well, yeah, like yeah. that's where you know you talk about your voice as a poet or your voice as a singer your voice uh as a guitarist comes from that right hand and that's uh and that yeah what you do with it is particularly interesting i'm not surprised that uh that all sorts of guitarists are like Hey, kid, show me, show me what you're doing there. <laughs> I mostly, I yeah, mostly no, just
0: true. click with my right hand. Just click, click,
2: click.
1: Oh, that's yeah, that's important too. Uh, yeah, we do lots of important yeah. things with our right hand. Uh, Milton, well, I know, love, I loved because... what
0: you said just then about everything you do on stage is part of the show. I love that. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to oh. be learned
3: there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really true. It's like when you see somebody on stage and 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 they they when they're talking between songs they kind of they, they resort to some something that's really not funny or that the pacing of the rhythm is bad or they you know whatever it is wait what if you, you know, did
0: wait they, wait wait what if you did all talking and the pacing and the rhythm was not funny you didn't do any songs you'd call that a podcast okay i'm sorry <laughs>
3: There's the I, music I, to what you do. Uh, well, but, well, yeah, but, but, but. because
0: of the silences, the, the long dead silences. between.
3: The,
0: I've just been uh, comparing our awkward silences to r- the rhythm. I'm sorry. I was totally oh, cool. interrupting. Excuse me.
3: Uh, that's okay. Yeah, but I was going to say, Shaver, about the right hand. You know, another weird thing is that I'm a lefty, you know, oh. and when <laughs> it was time to learn the guitar, my older brother, Tom, he played the guitar and he was a righty. And I thought about it and I thought about restringing and doing all that. And then I just thought, you know, I'll just learn. Like, we don't have to switch up the guitars. I'll just learn from, you know, this way on these. And it'll be easier in the long run. Uh Um, And in some ways, it was easier to learn than for some people because my left hand was on the frets. So learning the positions and moving, I had more dexterity doing that than somebody else would. But I never was an intricate finger picker because I have a dumb right hand so i can be rhythmic with my right hand
2: but i'm not
3: you know Uh yeah um and then you know a few years a few years ago i had this 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 marvelous notion that if i just got a lefty guitar it would turn out that actually i'm you know i'm Jimi hendrix
2: so (laughs) i I bought one um,
3: and i bought one i couldn't make heads or tails of the thing you know it's like you, you train your brain for long enough it didn't make any sense to me at all even though i'm a lefty you know
1: so, yeah uh, I, I it seems I feel I feel bad for all of you left-hand guitarists it doesn't seem like there's really a good way to do it uh, our friend Brian uh, who's been on the show he does he recorded the kind of instrumental song that we use uh, we play over our introduction uh, he is left-handed and he's a great guitarist great musician um, and he, but he did it just flipping the guitar around you know he did not have an electric guitar he just flipped it around yeah and in his mind just flipped over all of the chords so and he's self-taught too so it was real like
3: there was a guy yeah it's amazing right there was there was a dude I used to play with a lot, and he was literary too. So I wonder if you ever ran across this guy. His name was Tom Hopkins, and he 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 had his sister was named Cindy Hopkins, Cynthia Hopkins, and she was kind of a performance artist and a musician, and they had a group together. And and I used to know him both from uh, the woman I was involved with at the time. who worked at a literary magazine, and and he was involved in that but I knew him from music also. And this guy played lefty. Lefty instruments played lefty all the time. But if you were at a party and you handed him a, a, a righty guitar, he could make it work upside down, you know? Just from like enough years of just well, too, too bad. This is what I have to do, which to yeah. me was just like a switch hitter in 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 the realm of an instrument. <laughs> to me it was completely mind-blowing, you know. Like that's amazing. That's incredible.
1: And and yes, I do know Tom Hopkins. He was working at soft skull bookstore when I did my reading there back in the day that you came to. Right. Wow. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. funny. That's right. Uh,
3: he doesn't live in, in, in New York. There, there, there was a DJ from the station up in Woodstock um, that I, that would play my stuff and everything. And at some point he wrote me an email and he said, yeah, you know, my neighbor knows you Tom Hopkins. And it was like somewhere in the country or something i don't know where but 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 i haven't seen the guy in 20 years
1: yeah. oh, that's cool i bet it's nice out there it sounds like he's uh a...
3: wherever that they...
1: <laughs> he's yeah. in a nice place Yeah, i think
3: he's got a family and stuff yeah. yeah
1: yeah uh we definitely uh i'm gonna say this out loud so we don't forget after uh hearing uh That awesome question, Matthew, about how he came to be a singer. Um, We need to go out with the song I Like to Sing from the first record. Definitely.
0: I mean, if we can use... Uh,
3: uh, A singer (laughs) song, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I, have, singer, sorry.
0: I have made these assumptions that Schaefer has oh. at least verbally cleared some <laughs> of this music, that he's just been like e- emailing me these MP3s and I'm cutting it together and we're putting it on the show. I, Milton, I thought you knew. I thought you'd heard the show. Well, right?
1: Matthew Milton does know. He yeah. knows that. Schaefer Hall that, we're talking about. Okay, all right. You notice that if I get my hands on music, that yeah, I, that, that you never know what I'm going to do.
0: I, oh, Milton, there's one yeah, other... I'll, ask.
3: I'll give you an example. Matthew, yeah.
1: Uh, we'll oh, a wait. famous
3: Schaefer Hall example. Okay? Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so I had, at one point, when I, my first two albums, I was working for this label that was down in North Carolina. And every time I would make a set of demos for the next album they would say, you know what, give us more. We want to hear more. We want more material. And I would just keep you know, plugging away, writing away. And so even if an album is 10 or 12 songs, there'd be 40 songs, you know, going into the album <laughs> in demos. And so Schaefer wanted anything he'd get. So I said, well, I've got these. There was a guy across the street from me. In fact, funnily enough, he played in the band with Tom Hopkins. But this guy lived across the street from me on, on 10th Street. I would make recordings over at his house. So I had this whole stack of these demos I was going to send down to North Carolina. And I said, I'll show them to you, Schaefer. You're a poet and a writer, and you'll understand. But you won't share them with anyone, okay? Because I don't know what I'm going to use and what I'm not going to use. So I gave him, in whatever format we did in those days, whether it was a disc or whatever the hell it was, I gave it to him, and I went about my business. He's working at the bar. I forgot something, and I walked back in the bar (laughs) half an hour later, and he's playing it over the sound system in the bar like just just right after we had that conversation and i I walk in the door and i look up at him he looks up he looks up at me and he just says busted and that was it but
1: it, it wasn't like i was you know i was you know publishing them or putting them in a you know putting them in a in a movie or anything like that, not like not like what I've been doing with your music now. No, but
3: the place was open. For, yeah, exactly. But the, the place was open for business. You know. What I mean?
1: yeah. Yes. No. I was I was aware that I was not I was not subscribing to the letter of the law. Yeah. That's. uh I gotta keep yeah. my eye on. they were, no, no, were all the way, to, they were all such good songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah they had to I had to give them voice.
3: I. I I just heard today they're going to use one of my songs in a TV show, and they're going to pay me for it. Oh, good! So, but but uh, it's like some, so it's it's some um, TV show about an alien that comes down to Earth and he he works as a doctor. Or awesome. Um, um, but it's going to be on USA or something like that.
1: Yeah. Let us know when you know. You know, I'll, you, what, I'll give you the information. When yeah, the info, know. and we'll we'll put yeah. it on the website and stuff.
0: We love any story of an artist Ooh. being paid for their work.
1: <laughs> yeah, <that's pretty> exciting.
3: <laughs> me too. Yeah. Believe
0: right. Me. Right. Mm. Milton, another part of this show is that I I have this uh, thing that's a Korg Electribe that I call the robot, and I I usually break in with some beats during the and I, I curated a beat especially for you tonight. I forgot I I forgot I was gonna play it when you first came on, but I'll play it now for you. Here oh, we go. Oh man. yeah play it oh sorry my speaker went to sleep (laughs) okay here we go (laughs) this is the this is the milty rose beat (laughs)
1: I've I've heard a lot of Matthew Ramsey beats and that's one of my favorites. Definitely.
0: Well, I'm, you know, it's just, I mean, the thing is full of presets that I've messed with over the years. Like some of them are not original, but I, yeah, I try to curate a little beat for each episode. And I tell you, I was going to give up this part of the show. I thought it had become a little silly and but we started talking to Alex. The and the first time we got on the phone with Alex, he was like, "Where's the robot,
1: Rippy? <laughs> did that. you yeah. did you set up the robot?" He's like, "I'll stop right now. You go get that robot, Rippy." I was like, oh, "Okay, I,
2: well,
1: I was you know,
0: I was about to cut it from the show, but sure, sure."
3: Yeah, well, you know, we used to we used to have a joke going. Uh, this is going back to I was about nineteen about. So you, if you like that beat, you know, then that becomes the soundtrack to your life, and and so and whatever happens, you could be like in the middle of some very, you know, uh, somber occasion, and everybody's sitting around mourning or something, and they're you know they're 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 burying somebody, and you're all everyone's sad, but that beat's playing for you forever now, you know, like that becomes the soundtrack to your life, like you're you're you're, you're there, you're finally alone with this woman that you're in love with or something, and sure you're alone. And, then all of a sudden that beat comes in. Now that's become the soundtrack of your life. Yeah.
0: Mine is Shambala from the Beastie Boys. It's an instrumental off of uh, uh, Ill Communication.
3: Nice, nice. I remember it's, it well. Wow. It's my theme from song. College parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, mine's,
1: and, mine's something by Herbie Mann.
3: Maybe it comes from the from the. Uh, uh, the the his famed album a2 flute <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I, I, <laughs> I i saw that at, at, like in a in a in like a, a like a yard sale or like a flea market somewhere and i i had to stop and just enjoy the full full bodied laugh of the name of that album <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: we had his record Herbie push Man push
3: oh in, yeah uh, wow in college, he, he loves he loves.
1: He loves a flute pun?
3: No, he loves a, a, a shot of himself with no shirt on.
1: Oh, that he too, yeah. That.
3: <laughs> yeah, <That's>... yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did some gigs with his His son's a drummer in, in Los Angeles.
2: Oh, is Jeff that right?
3: And I, yeah, I was playing out there, and I had Jeff Mann on drums for a few shows. Great guy. Good, good drummer, too.
0: Milton Schaefer referenced uh, a show that he had participated in, and I can only assume this is a virtual show because you know pandemic and and distance. But you've been doing some some shows on the interwebs.
3: Yes. uh, Yeah. So since right. So in I guess November December of nineteen, my most recent album came out, and I we did uh, a show at city winery here in Manhattan in New York. And uh, it went so well that they were kind enough to give me another date. And that was for like the first week in March um, or or, somewhere in the middle of March, I guess. Yeah.
4: Bad timing.
3: And and it, it happened to be like the, exactly when everything shut down. Yeah. So I decided to announce the show was going to happen from my room. And I did, everything and i did my first uh live stream of the of the pandemic at that time on on the actual friday that the show was supposed to be and ever since then i've played every other friday um throughout the pandemic Uh, starting out when we didn't know what was going on and how to do things and stuff just with my phone in my room and since then it's been able to i've been able to do it in when you know weather and safety factors permitting in studios and in places with um other people, um, uh, both here in New York and down in Philadelphia, um, and a couple of other places, but, but, but mostly, um, just friends studios or, or my own, uh, with the mobile rigs that we've all now figured out how to use because we have to
0: is let me um, ask you, is that scratching the itch?
3: Been, the well, you know, um, it, as much as it can be, I mean, during the, during the warm weather months, Uh, I I managed to find this place um, up in uh, the Western Catskills in a town called Calicoon, this old hotel with a crazy (laughs) bar called The Western. uh, And it's right by the train tracks and overlooking the Delaware River in this little town. And uh, uh, in talking it out with the people um, there, uh, they were like, well, you know, we can't do anything inside. So we built a stage in the parking lot of the place um, early in the summer. And then all Saturdays and uh, Saturday nights and Sunday brunches, I would play uh, with a group outdoors in a tent you know, a stage across the gravel parking lot from where everyone sat at distance tables and tents. So I was able to play all weekends from uh, July 4th weekend uh, until, um, you know, first week in November or something. Oh, that's great. And they put me up in the hotel while I was up there. And I, a couple of weekends, I ran larger festivals and brought people from the city up and stuff. So I got to play, um, you know, most weekends uh, in the warm weather, thankfully. Um, but I haven't, you know, and then little people, certain backyard parties and things that people would do when it felt safe to do that. Um, but, I, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, immediately at the time of the p- of pandemic, Lost two tours, a, a week in the Caribbean of gigs, and my entire season of weddings and parties all just fell off the, you know, just ceased to exist. Brilliant. So, the yeah, the online shows like you know, at least it's something that you can. I love to I love to put together a show. I love to plan a show. I love to the, the whole thing. You know, every every bit of it. Rehearse the material. Think about a a, a, a theme that goes through the whole thing. And I love to perform. It's it's a physical high. It's a, it's my thing. So um, to get to do that, even those two weeks to spend the time in between developing and figuring out what we're going to do, that's that's great too. I mean, it's look, we got to hang out. We got to be cool for the duration. You know that we have here. It looks like it's a finite amount of time. So I can deal with, with them apples. I try to imagine that because I can't do as much touring and playing and playing the bars and the restaurants and the theaters and the whatever that i'm I'm going to be riding up a storm and it doesn't really work that way (laughs) productive when when you you know you can't it's not on demand exactly but uh but at least there's something yeah those shows are something you
0: know milton were you in austin in in the last couple of years did you
3: when
1: was that Schaefer? two years ago
3: a
0: year
1: ago
0: you've you've been to the front page right
1: he played the first three Indeed, nights we play, were open. Play
0: the opening. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well yeah. then, yeah, yeah. this is embarrassing. Then that? maybe we actually have met. <laughs> I mean, at least, <laughs> yeah, I, I've maybe I have at least seen you in person. Now, now that rings a bell. Now that I remember that you're a touring musician. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: maybe. Yeah. So, okay. I'm. I mean,
3: I'm just. I mean, like,
1: hey, man. You we were. Oh, so will your next show be on the 25th?
3: Well, no, because that's Christmas Day. So I figured, yeah. you know, it's not really a day that people want to hang out and watch the Milton show so much. they got other things they're doing.
1: I, <laughs> I, I figured. Don't know. So, Nobody's in there. We'll, we'll, we'll...
0: You could do a Christmas theme set, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, I could, I could, I, yeah, um, I could, I won't, but I could, yeah, fair enough,
2: and
0: and I respect yeah, um, you for it, sir. <laughs>
3: well, I mean, no, but quite honestly, Matthew, I mean, I, I, I've played, you know, holiday gigs where we had to do all that kind of stuff, I mean, it, you know, it's the, the thing about all that stuff is, once again, for all you musicians out there, is like, you know, if you, people that say, oh man, I don't want to do a wedding, or I don't want to... It's only going to make you tougher it's only going to make you a better musician if you whatever the gig is if it's a gig and you have to learn stuff and you have to learn how to play it right and make it talk and do it well you're only going to learn more music you know okay it can only help you
0: so, so what's so, your favorite holiday song uh
3: well um <laughs> Obviously, all the Vince, Vince Guaraldi peanut stuff is... Oh,
0: yes! Of, uh, that was the right answer. That is by far... I am such a Scrooge, uh, and, and and not too much into the Christmas season, necessarily, and my wife plays Christmas music, like, the yeah. whole time. But I... Oh, I love that music. Gotcha. Oh, that music is so good.
3: I uh, liken that the, uh, the claymation claimation Fred Astaire tells the story of how Santa Claus came to be, and when he was younger, he looked more like Schaefer Hall, really. Um, (laughs) He was was a ginger, you know. Uh, But, but, uh, um, uh, and I think it's Mickey Rooney that plays the voice of Santa Claus in that story. There's some good numbers in that. I did a a, a Roger Miller uh, Christmas song. I'm I'm totally freaking out on the catalog and the work of Roger Miller, the country singer of the 60s and 70s, you know. Um, Incredible songwriter, incredible, wild man of a guy who's amazing catalog. And he had a good little Christmas number. Um, so, you know, there's ones here and there that I like that, that we've had to do. Um, yeah. You know, some, some bother me more than others, but, but
0: uh. I'm always interested in a guy from the Northeast who like is into country music. I, I we had this discussion with Alex, he's from Cleveland and he's a country kind of guy. I mean, I know that you're, that you don't sing yeah. country, but I know that part of the the whole folk scene is is some country music, right? Yeah,
3: what, but you what's know, your relationship I mean, with country, honestly, Milton? I, okay, well, my we'd go like this. My dad was really into uh, bluegrass. He was really into Doc Watson. He really thought Doc Watson was the coolest. Wow! So that was probably the first um, country singer that I knew of or or, or like. A lot, um, and I had cousins. My my, my I had cousins who were folk players, and one of them played the five-string banjo. And at family parties, he would you'd play the banjo and stuff, you know. So that was probably earliest association. They were kind of into folk and into Pete Seeger and you know all the stuff that you'd hear at a northeastern folk club, which is a stiffer version of, of country music. But I mean, right. to me, once you once you start getting into music all music man there's, there's a groove to be found and the other thing about that is like you know i grew up with the stuff my parents had in the our living room collection of lps that was where that was the musical universe to me luckily for me that was kind of diverse because of the times um but so a lot of what we listened to was was that stuff which was like reggae music the heart of they come was one of the first albums i loved as a child you know well, reggae music is the same as gospel music is the same as blues is the same as soul is the same as country it's the same music it's the same music it's coming from the same place and you can find your groove in all of it so i'm just as a you know music guy of many years i'm just nuts about country music the people that i like and there's tons of them i love the history i love the history of nashville of texas music i mean what you know and 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 it's so diverse. I mean, if you cross the state of Tennessee, one side of what I've done on a tour or whatever, once the music of think about it, you start out in the mountains, you're in the bluegrass and the mountain music, this stuff, then you then you work your way into deep country music, then you end up in Memphis and it's the blues and it's jazz, you know, and it's all one state, man. You know, it's like not even that big a state in this scheme of things. It's like our our country's and our music is just so rich. And there's so much of it. And I, anyone that ever said to me, I don't like this kind of music. I'm talking, they say, I don't like metal. I don't like rap. I don't know what they're talking about, quite honestly. There's got to be something that you, in there somewhere. It's music.
1: Here, here. It's nice to hear someone say that. That's, it's a hard thing to explain. You know, people, when people ask you and you try to tell them that you like all kinds of music, they're like, ah, you're, that's a boring answer or something. That's a. That you're copping out or something. And I'm just like, no, literally, I can, I can go show you the barbershop quartet records in my goddamn record collection. You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know yeah. what I yeah. don't know what to tell yeah. you. And it's like other than I really yeah. do like. <laughs> and if you want to talk about them, I can talk. I about I always them
3: wanted to do with my. Yeah, I always wanted to do with my records. You know, I wanted to make it so that. Whatever happened on the next song, we'd go in a totally different direction, and as long as the song was good. Some of the people that I loved and admired the most did that, and I think the closest I got to it was this most recent album, Studio City, where there is a reggae song, there are there is a country song, there is you know um, yeah, yeah. Is like an old-fashioned jazz song with a full orchestra, you know. There's and a, I, a I you know to do. I just a Danny
1: to... K style musical number on there. There is. Yeah, broad <laughs> strokes. <There's to> <laughs> Broad oh, strokes. Yeah.
3: like we were going more for like a, for like a. We we're going for like a Monty Python record with that. But if you want to call it a Danny K record, that that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Danny K meets a court gesture of a different kind, perhaps. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wanted to do it. However, you know, and you might see us play broad strokes in a gig, and it sounds like a rockabilly number, you know. So it's like, it, it, you know. music get to get to know it i remember like i said when i was a kid i wanted to play reggae my brother my older brother played and i thought it was so daunting and so strange and he just sort of grabbed my hand and he went look try this rhythm up down up up down up up down up it's like you're on the strings up down up ding 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 ding, and it's like rock steady you know and once you learn it like anything else whatever like riding the bike jumping. Once you learn it, it's just not weird ever again. So I think it's like, you know, whatever kind of music, I, I wish more people would just open it up and dig it. Country music, I'm sorry, Matthew, to answer your question, I went so far afield there, but I mean, I, I don't even know where I could begin to tell you that the people that, I, let me look here, I'm going to walk over to, the, to these records here and look at some of these country records. You got, uh, let's see, Loretta Lynn and Merle Haggard, and uh don gibson do you know don gibson jimmy driftwood um jerry reed and chet atkins you know uh jj kelwell's not quite country but sure it is at the same time um you got uh joe mapis playing gospel 12 string willie nelson you know uh in in the first national band kenny rogers and, and and the first edition dolly parton you know uh and then all these old old compilations of Smoky Mountain music and, and, and obviously Hank I got three or four Hank compilations, Bob Wills, Tony Joe White. Sort of not exactly country, but kinda is at the same time. You know. So and it goes on and on and on. Lefty Frizzell, one of my favorite guys, you know. Oh yeah. Um so it's like I country to me is is just when the acts are really good, it's it's just really good. And I think you could be hanging out with once again, you could be hanging out with some like soul singer or or reggae guy or something or jazz guy and they would have favorite country acts too because it's music and when it's good they like it you know
1: right right uh uh Milton, you're uh like the last uh, 20 minutes of this conversation reminded me uh of this article that my dad sent me and i'll put it up on the uh on the facebook page so uh, all of one magical nation can look at it too but uh, I'll I'll email it to you. It's about the what they called the West Side Sound out of San Antonio, um, also also called oh, Chicano cool. Soul, um, combination of swing, yeah. and con, conjunto, and country. But it's where uh, where Augie Myers and uh, Doug Sam, first started out it was on San Antonio's West Side, and it's got a bunch of cool links to some bands I've never heard of, like uh, Sunny and the Sunliners, and uh, some neat stuff. I'll, I'll wow. forward it to you.
3: Amazing.. Very cool. My dad is the uh, my dad's cool. the yeah.
1: is our pipeline to uh <laughs> to South, the concert cowboy South Texas, yeah, South Texas music that that I would yeah. never know about otherwise. no,
0: I it's well chronicled on this program that Schaefer has helped me have more of an appreciation for country, whereas I sort of rejected it at a young age, being from Lubbock, Texas. And not wanting to be associated with the uh, dimmer views of some of the country audience. And always having an appreciation for, say, outlaw country as opposed to the Nashville hot country scene. And then, you know, I, I, we went to school with uh, Natalie Maines and I saw how the the Nashville establishment rejected her for expressing anything less than a conservative viewpoint. And so those, I, I come with my own prejudices to country and have just as a personal preference, like, for a long time in my life just sort of eschewed it and was like this is not something that i want to be associated with and i was interested in all those other things r&b and soul and hip-hop and electronica and what whatever anything besides country but i I gotta say in the last few years i've always been interested in willie and waylon and the boys but i gotta say sturgill simpson helped me come back to an appreciation of of uh the roots of country and the soul of country and i i have i still haven't seen that documentary uh, the ken burns thing and i'm sure that that would give me right and more of an appreciate but I, I i love your enthusiasm for it and uh, and I, I you were talking about how all these forms of music are come from the same place i i feel that in uh, in art you know like uh a novel and a painting and a play and a song
2: yeah.
0: obviously all yeah. emanate from the same thing. And that's, um, so that's I, 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 it's interesting to me to, I, I have preconceived notions of somebody who's from the Northeast or, or the Midwest. And uh, as somebody from the the South or the West who like, didn't want to be a part of something and then people from all over this nation, like um, appreciating it for, for what it is, that it's fascinating. And it's funny.
1: Yeah.
3: Sorry. I was going to say when I was, obviously I've been always the kind of, I was the kind of kid who read the liner notes and wanted to know what everything was and where everybody came from and what they were about. And I just always felt so, I always felt so like uh, uh, embarrassed. I came from a place that I was. I would, I would jokingly say to people well, I, I came from nowhere because I came from the suburbs of New York, where I grew up. So it wasn't the cool part of New York, and it, we didn't have a style of music associated with it, you know. And and I always wished that I was sort of rich in some tradition, but then you know eventually you start to realize you you do have your own roots and your own story, the people that you come from, and the music of your Country and the the things that are around you and that that you got steeped in as you know as a kid, so I, I don't I need to fake anything. I'm from where I'm from and and what I learned I learned as a listener, you know. But I mean it's but I, I think it's such a we have such a rich you know history of music in our country, and the other thing is that for me it's just a very very primal experience. How does the music make you feel? You know I don't I don't really so okay. You know, it's like people when i was growing up in high school what you what kind of music you were into was really fighting territory all the time you couldn't like this and also like that and i just thought that was so stupid you know i mean what, who cares that i i, I went the, to the ramon show last night and then i went to go see the grateful dead i don't care what does that mean to you does it mean anything to me besides they both sounded righteous to me or, or whatever it was i was listening to you know
1: it's funny uh and you know they're uh, the, the problem with all this, and like, because you know, Matthew was talking about, you know, uh, visual art or, you know, other kinds of art, uh, the music specifically has been uh, falsely associated, you know, or so incorrectly uh, closely tied up with personality and culture mm-hmm. and who you are as a person, um, I, you know, and because it speaks to people, you know, so strongly. I understand why I, I'm just saying, it's not, it's not always the healthiest association. Like you don't have people, you don't have people say, oh, oh you like you like so, sci-fi novels, uh, but that, you know, you must, you must hate, you know, mystery novels then, you know, like. <laughs> like, like
0: well, and for me, it's always been, like, um, right, right. for me, it's always been, oh, you like sport and you like art. Mm, that's not, and, and right. to, to me yeah. that that's always come from a similar place, especially with soccer, where it's like creativity is rewarded. We were we sorry we were having a yeah. soccer discussion before we got on the
1: there <laughs> yeah. with you. So. Oh, cool. Tr- yeah. Try being.
3: In yeah, a, no, in I mean a... that's yeah, one of my best.
1: Go ahead, Melt.
0: Sometimes it sounds like oh, he's in the International friends, Space uh, Station.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's really good up here, guys. They have this freeze-dried ice cream, and we get all the tang we want.
1: Uh, 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 can you, can you see the Great so, Wall? Uh,
3: uh, yeah, I can. But it's actually just the takeout Chinese place in Brooklyn, the Great Wall. But I can see it from up here. Uh, um, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah... Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world is is a visual art guy. He's a graphic designer. He designed all my records because we became friends. We met when he was working on the first album I ever did um, in the late '90s, um, and he, his name is we Mark. Met over baseball. His name is Mike. Mike. Yeah. That
0: was it. That was in and, uh, that article from the blog post.
3: So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you you can see the designs in the yeah in one of the blog post articles and uh, on my albums and stuff. But wonderful designer but he is a, was a crazy baseball fan and so was I and we started talking about it and we sort of bonded over that and just like you say for years there was always this kind of like well, why do you you know are, what what are you are you an arts guy or are you a sports guy and every year at the end of the year where things wouldn't go the way we liked in baseball and we were really upset about it and things were rough we have a, call, a phone call that goes Back and forth, where I call him, I say, "What do I care about? I'm a music guy. I don't care about this." And he'll say, "Yeah, I'm an art guy. I don't, I don't follow sports." Just we're you know joking with with each other because we're so damn bummed out about how it went that year for our team. <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, I was gonna say, care, try like I'm an art guy. I I recall I would occasionally uh, it, when I was in uh, college uh, creative writing workshops, I would occasionally show up with a poem about baseball or football and those uh, those never
3: <laughs> those never went over
1: as well as the other ones did. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People are super proud to in, in the art world to like you said, to hate sports. And I once again I don't get that either really. I mean if you do, okay, but be honest, if you don't like it, you don't have to like it. But if you you know, I never saw them as being mutually ex- exclusive in any way. Yeah.
0: At some point in history there was a separation between like a renaissance man ideal of like being well-rounded and then like a specialization of being only emo and artistic. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure when that happens somewhere along or somewhere around Monet.
1: It's also t- all tied up And Milton. Milton has a song about this. Um, it's, it's tied up with those people in that town that you're trying to get away from when you grow up, you know, mm. uh, those, those, you know, jocks who listen to, you know, their hard rock van hagar and, you know and lifted weights and beat you up because you're a poet or whatever um right those, those things all get tied up together and and incorrectly um it's too bad but that's just the way it is
2: yeah
1: yeah and, yeah. and when that and yeah. as milton tells us we'll never get it we'll never i'll we'll never get away from it
3: <laughs> well i think all i was trying to say with that song was was that wherever you come from in my case, it was the suburban New York town. But wherever you come from, you don't live there very long in the scheme of your life necessarily. But it's your formative year, so you take it with you wherever you go. And yeah. there's no escaping that. I mean, you know, like uh, you, whatever, you know, um, whatever you want to name, whatever example you, you want, if you, if you met, you know, Bob Dylan, there would be some traces of Hibbing, Minnesota on the way that he does things and looks at things and thinks about things. Yeah, and those and characters.
1: It can be as negative. As, sorry to interrupt. It can be as negative or as positive, as you know, what how you want to look at it or how you want to present it, or what you want to bring from it or take from it.
3: That's right. Yeah, I I didn't I, I never thought of that song. Uh, this is the town as negative.
1: Oh uh, no, yeah, I didn't mean. I for just thought it, of it yeah. as that
3: that. Yeah, that was just kind of the way things were in my. I mean, it just was. It was not exactly. You, you, yeah, I think soccer makes its way into that song. But soccer for us in uh, in in my burb was a very social thing. That you know that the that the the white kids did. They were in soccer leagues. Sometimes there might be a, um, uh, there might be some immigrants or something giving it a little bit of diversity. But I I grew up in a very very you know once again people's misconceived notions of the, the north and the south. I grew up in an incredibly insular place hmm. that was very, very segregated. Uh, and soccer was a sort of in our society it was like a statusy sport, you know, compared to playing Pop Warner football, where more working class kids one town over, you know, was, was the way my town was.
0: Well, and, and then, and then I...
3: when you got to high school, then then there was the football team and all that.
0: Yeah, actually, America's got a problem where uh, they've they've turned soccer into they <laughs> we've turned soccer into an elitist <laughs> thing. Like to, to be considered for college and, and leagues you've got, your parents have to start you in these select leagues that are pay for play. And that's so an, antithetical, yeah, yeah. antithetical yeah. to how it is in the rest of the world, which is totally, it's, it's the most accessible game because sure. it takes the fewest amount of equipment and we've really turned that on its heads, and then we yeah. go, and then we go, "Oh, well, why aren't we not producing uh, the best talent because we're not opening it up to the whole talent pool? Uh, it's really that's right. It's it, right It's really sort of jacked. Right. I, I'm so glad that this conversation turned to football.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, uh... yeah,
3: we got it all messed up in this country. I, yeah, I lived in South America for a couple of years when I was in college and uh, I saw a real, a real full-on, I lived in a real full-on soccer society. You
0: know? yeah. yeah, soccer is thing. life, And once man. again,
3: that's a perfect example, man. It's a different, it's a perfect example. Every American person that ever told you, I don't get it, I don't like it, it's boring, nothing happens the whole time, they never score. And every European or South American person that ever just told me, what is this American football? As soon as it gets going, it stops. It stops every 30 seconds. What the hell is this obsession with the clock? Who cares about the clock? Why? You know, all these things. It's just like styles of music. It's you, you build the expectations around the thing itself and you learn the way that people do that dance and then you learn to dance that dance and the excitement builds. Even If you're from from South America, you're from Europe, you're from, you've never played American football you don't understand the stop and start thing. You don't realize that the excitement is in the anticipation of what might happen next. And that builds its own rhythm. If you're from the States, you don't get that this long drawn out thing where you go back up and down this giant you're playing essentially playing basketball with your feet on a football field. This thing is like the, the excitement gets built in the passion of the team and how you know, when's it gonna happen and, and this explosive thing that happens when a goal does happen. It's it's amazing. But you just—it's like speaking languages. It's like learning styles of music. It's like you know.
0: It's in the nuance. It's
3: all—it's all accessible if you open up your mind to it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is our by far our best interview.
3: But it's funny because you—you got right. Oh come on.
0: Yeah. No. Definitely,
3: but it's definitely my best podcast appearance. But but. But you, you dudes are like a little soccer gang within. Because I mean, Porter is a big soccer guy too, right? Yeah, yeah. So within, yeah. Although Porter's moved on to
1: of of, of tennis. Porter only wants to talk about sumo tournaments now, though. Oh God. (laughs) Porter likes to. Porter likes, yeah, one hundred (laughs) percent seriously. Porter likes the sport until everybody else starts paying attention to it. And then he goes back and finds another sport to be even, even more esoteric about. (laughs) Uh,
3: Sumo. I mean, i once again taking advice from the guy that was just passionately speaking myself 30 seconds ago, I'm not close to sumo. I just don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And once, yeah. And once you learn about it, once you get in there, once you sit at the bar next to somebody who's passionate about it, uh then all of a sudden you know you get it and it becomes it can become your favorite thing or or just or just one more thing that yeah, you can I mean, enjoy
3: i i don't know jack diddly about cricket but i'll tell you the way that when you go through the the like the indian part of town and there are dudes who, who like will take seven hours out of their day to watch this shit and, and they jump up and down and they go nuts i i I love that. I wish I was one of those guys. I wish I knew, you know, what what what.
1: Yeah, they definitely look like they're having fun, don't they?
3: Yeah. They want to like get back there and check it out and like tune out the world and tune that in. That's kind of amazing to me. I got really into Bollywood cinema a couple of years ago, so I could I I sort of got a feel for what that was about. So now I just got to get get my cricket game together, and then I'll really be Indian.
1: That's kind of one of the things that I really love about Spotify is, you know, I'll hear about or the other day I was just wondering, I was like, you know, India has, you know, obviously has a a really close relationship with its music. And so I kind of started to wonder, I was like, are there contemporary like indie rock, Indian indie rock bands? And and so I got on Spotify and checked out, of course, there totally are. There's a bunch of them and then yeah. I, you know i spent the whole yeah. afternoon just uh cruising through them uh and it was it was really exciting and really fun and just right there at my fingertips too uh so whatever yeah. You, yeah. whatever yeah. you can think of it's probably yeah. out there and...
0: do you yeah. listen to any podcasts milton
3: yeah i I, I'm going to be embarrassed if I tell you the ones that I listen to. I think but I'll, I will, <laughs> well, but I'll be honest. You don't have to divulge. You don't, don't have you to truth. divulge anything
0: you don't want to. Um, yes,
3: with do. regularity, I, so I just finished a, a long uh, and wonderful true crime uh, broadcast called "Chameleon," the, or, or the the Hollywood con queen the story of the Hollywood con queen chameleon. Uh, I really recommend it. If you like those kind of the equivalent of a page turner in a, in a podcast, a I definitely do. Of a, of a, a, um, that one was out of this world. Uh, but for the most part, I will just nerd out on various aspects of music. I mean, there's uh there's this guy and he's out of, I think he's out of Texas. He must, I'm guessing he's, a bunch older, but I have no idea. And he has this podcast called Music from 100 Years Ago. And he plays, he gets themes together, and then he plays these 78s. You know, it'll be like every song is going to be about New York City on this on this episode. Every song is going to be about dancing. It's going to have dance in the lyrics or whatever. This We're going to feature fiddles, or he'll say this is the top the country top 40 of 1946, or whatever, and I'll just play those, you know. And I can, and he is extremely well studied, really mild mannered, mellow dude who's fun to listen to, has like this, this bright, warm vibe about him, and he just plays these crazy, weird, old ancient records. And that's the, the kind of thing I could do for hours, you know. I just, I just, that's like, that's like crack. To me. so so music from 100 years ago is, is a podcast that i love the hell out of and then i will just totally nerd out you know ser- searching around and finding an interview with that session drummer who played on those four records that i really like and hope that he'll talk about how they made those four records and i'll find interviews with songwriters and all that kind of stuff on different people's podcasts um Uh, Nobody else with any great regularity. For a while, I listened to Mark Maron a bunch because he had so many musicians that I admired and comedians and things like that. But not—I haven't listened to that in in ages now. So nobody else that I can think of offhand. Mostly just sounds like you've got got room for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like (laughs) you got. Seems like you got room for one more now.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Uh, this yeah. music from one hundred years ago, guy. Wow, he's been doing it since two thousand six or something. That's
3: <clears throat> yeah. He'll th- stay at the beginning of the program. But, oh, well, this is this is Bryce Cukway, and welcome to Music from One Hundred Years Ago. This is broadcast number six hundred and thirty three. Or whatever. Yeah, I'm always like, what? So... He said what? But it's, yeah. yeah.
1: This looks amazing. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Schaefer, you're busy. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have time for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah they're 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 short they're just a few songs they um yeah they're great and it'll give me something to talk about with milton next time he's on the show
0: do you think you would uh come talk to us again milton
1: sure you know i have to admit i have to say
3: uh, for the record i'm sorry I, i probably talked Too much. I get really excited. Uh, No
0: no 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 no. No I I was crapping you negative when I said this is the and I apologize to all the other people
1: we've interviewed so far, but
0: this is our this is possibly our best interview. Possibly (laughs) our
1: best episode. Yeah, we love we love it we love a guest to get wound
4: up. That's
3: that's 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 what I do. Boys, (laughs) (laughs) Boys,
1: <laughs> <get> warm, <laughs> I'm sorry. So I was started, actually, uh, yeah. uh, I was actually gonna ask you to s- sing some songs, but I was having so much fun listening to you talk and. Um... Well,
0: maybe if Milton could just do, sing one song, then we wouldn't have to have a closing track.
3: Okay, yeah. where am I gonna sing, fellas?
0: How about Silver Bells? We were we were talking about ho- holiday
1: tracks.
3: This is the soundtrack to my life again.
1: Uh, actually, uh.
3: So while we're talking, or even while I'm singing other song, all I'm hearing internally
1: is this beat. Uh, Ben Ben Murphy via via Facebook requested that you do that new song, the Bohemian Blues. Bohemian Days. Bohemian, Bohemian Days.
3: days. Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, if Was you wanted to do that one, I would. Mama Mia? Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah. Yeah. Right,
0: if we're putting you on the spot, you don't have to. But yeah. if you don't mind doing just one number, uh-huh. this is like um, Jimmy Kimmel just T- told Taylor Swift a story that Billy Joel told him. He Billy Joel said, "I don't. I hate playing a song at a party, but it seems like every party I show up at, they've rented a piano." Uh,
3: <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> that just uh,
0: that just that just happened last night on the Kimmel yeah. Show.
3: Oh really? Oh that's funny. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um Yeah. Let me see if I. So, all right, so what's the one song there, uh, 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 Matthew? What were you going to say?
0: Oh, no. I thought Schaefer suggested a, ch- a tune.
4: Oh, okay.
1: What did I'll you, do what you, guys what'd want. you say, Schaefer? Yeah, uh, Bohemian Days, that new one.
3: Okay, fair enough.
1: Um, and it's funny, you know, I was. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to, Yeah, we don't, we don't have to say goodbye, but thank you so much for. Make it an episode fifty uh, an awesome uh, yeah, probably our best episode yet. It's Quite been, possibly our best episode yet. And here's what awesome. here's what
0: we're gonna do. We're gonna do our sign off. And then okay. when whenever you're re- and then when you're ready, you just hit it, and then that's gonna be our closing track. This this is unprecedented. A live closing track from a guy whose music we've been listening to and using as closing tracks and hadn't told him. Yep. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, Milton. And don't, you
1: know, and feel it also, free if you. It also, it also. Go ahead. What's that? What, I was going to say, it
3: would also be a really good prank if you just tell me that's what you're doing and then you leave me singing the song in my room by myself.
1: <laughs> Play some other song. <laughs>
0: it's ice ice baby
1: and if yeah if you have any any yeah, w- right. words
2: yeah.
1: if you have any words to say about the song feel of uh, you know feel free to say them. i'm cur- you mentioned a little bit uh uh the other night um i don't remember now but um yeah if you uh
3: what's that i'm sorry say, say it again Schaefer.
1: if you have any context for the song or anything you'd like to say about it, just because we've signed out doesn't mean you can't talk is all I'm saying, you know, There's. Is...
4: Oh, okay. 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 Everything
0: you well, do on I, stage I, yeah. is part of the show. Yep.
1: We're That's learning, right.
3: We're, we're
2: That's like right but I'm to... not on
3: stage now, am I?
2: Uh... I'm in
3: my room. No, but, but, it's, it, 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 but it's still part of the show. Absolutely, yeah. It's really so, blurring it's, the it's lines. The called, it's the isn't isn't it, though? Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's sort of like when Bugs Bunny, you know, gets kind of annoyed. He looks at the screen and he says, you know, like, who thought this was going to happen in the picture? Or whatever? You know, like, I'm in my room, but, but I'm actually on stage, you know, like, yeah.
0: Breaking the fourth
3: right. wall. Exactly, exactly. Now, the thing is with the headphones,
1: well, we'll make it work.
0: Okay, well, listen, Milton, we think that the poorer the choices,
1: the sweeter the wine.
4: No twenty left my old hometown, came to the city on my way downtown. I poured banker's coffee, swept off his floors, spent all my paychecks in the record store. Living in historical fiction, down and out in splendid cafes, passionate romantic affliction, bohemian days. Riding the subway Songs in my head Making up verses From what people say Work in the morning Late nights in bars Low paid engagements Playing my guitar in some smoky crowded room where your friends are Think of something clever to say Hoping you'll turn up in a memoir Sunday, no work all day, my pads are dreary, won't you come and play, you can paint your pictures, I'll sing my songs, but laugh ourselves to death. Dreaming up the plot of a story Acting out the parts in a play Hoping it will all lead to glory in this year.